My name is Annie Lobert, and I'm a champion survivor of trafficking to tell you that God can heal you from any hurt that's ever happened to you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you too. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we invite presence, inspire purpose, and ignite passion into people's hearts to spread God's love everywhere. This episode is going to be so special because guess what? I was interviewed by my friend, Sam Sorbo. You know Hercules? Yeah, the wife of Hercules. So cool, right? Anyway, watch this. You're going to be totally inspired and you're going to also get fired up about trafficking and how to be a solution to the horrific crime that's happening across our nation and across our world. I'm Sam Sorbo. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm welcoming to the show somebody I've known for many, many years. I met this woman years ago at an anti-human trafficking event, and um, we've reconnected over the years. She is the producer of one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And she is also here to talk about human trafficking. My guest is Annie Lobert. She's the founder of Hookers for Jesus and also the pink chair. But I prefer her just as, to be known as Annie Lobert, which actually rhymes with pink chair when you think about it, Annie. Welcome to the show. Oh, yeah, that sure does, Sam. I love it. Nice to see you again. I Annie love Lobert your cards today. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Hookers, hookers for Jesus is a pretty catchy, uh, it's a catchy term, right? So why don't you take totally. us a little bit into there, the genesis of that, and um, and we'll talk about how we met and what, you're, what you've been up to. Yeah. So that name came to me when I was driving. I was actually leaving church. And I know this sounds super Christianese, which I don't want it to. But I remember that the first four disciples that Jesus called, remember, they were fishermen. So the vice officers and the police and my ex-trafficker, the pimp, used to call me a hoe, hooker, whore, all that. Just the worst names possible. And I heard a little voice in my head, you're my hooker for Jesus. Like, you're my little fisherwoman. And... And literally, I got the term in my head, hooker for Jesus, hookers for Jesus. And then I heard fishing for people that are drowning in the dark waters of sex trafficking. And it, it just stuck. And if you look up the name hooker in the uh, it's the actual gosh, it's the day the Dutch in the Dutch. They had a boat in Dutchland and the boat's called the hooker. And it's actually a fishing boat, the same size as the, the disciples used to fish. And the same one that Jesus was probably in when it was a stormy sea happening to them. And he walked on water. So hookers for Jesus is very near and dear to me because it really literally means what it says. Yeah. We are I, hookers for Jesus. I will tell you the first time I heard it, it hooked me. Uh, and of course, <laughs> So I met Annie at this event that um, that was anti-trafficking before anybody really knew much of anything about trafficking and certainly didn't coordinate or or, uh, you know, consider trafficking to be affiliated in any way with pornography or or even or even prostitution. Right. Right. Totally. Was, tell us the, the genesis. Tell us how 
not not necessarily how you got started, but where you were and then how you got saved out of that life. Right. It's so good to talk about that part because that's the most important piece. When someone gets pulled into trafficking, it's a very sketchy situation usually. But here's what's tricky. Usually the person being trafficked, you know your trafficker, you know your pimp, you've known them for a while. So this was my boyfriend. He was someone I trusted. I was so in love with. I believed that he was basically going to help me get a business started. I wanted to have my own jewelry store and I love diamonds and gold and different gems and things like that. So he saw that like need and want inside me. But the most important thing that he saw was my vulnerabilities, which was my insecurities and me not believing that I was good enough. My father and my mother, domestic violence relationship, it was horrible. My dad used to beat my mom in front of us kids. And then I was abused when I was eight years old from the next door neighbor. And that just led into this catapulted type of just this promiscuous lifestyle into my teens. And then finally, when I graduated high school, I took off. I was 18 and I was working three jobs. I wanted to go to college, never could afford going to college. We're wealthy. My dad spent all his money on antiques. He had an antique addiction. Long story short, I went to a nightclub one night and my girlfriend and I met these two guys. They were sitting at the bar. They looked like they had money. And my girlfriend starts dating one of the guys. The next thing I know, two weeks later, I'm on a plane. It might have been two months. I just can't remember the time frame because it was so long ago. I was on a plane to Hawaii and I got sold in Hawaii. But Sam, here's the part that's crazy. I chose to sell myself. My girlfriend was with a trafficker, but we didn't even know he was a trafficker because at that time he wasn't taking her money. He was letting her keep the money. Then I get back to Minnesota where I'm originally from. I quit all three of my jobs started working at the strip club. I was working escort services for a little bit, but I almost got killed. And that's where I met my boyfriend inside a strip club. He was a bona fide trafficker pimp. And I brought him with me to Las Vegas after a couple months of dating him. He moved in with me. It was really fast. This is a warning ladies for all of you out there that you're dating. If someone moves in that relationship so fast, you can't even blink your eyes. Something's wrong. You should not be with someone that says, I want to marry you. The first time I looked at you, I wanted to marry you. That can happen, but that's usually a very special situation. This guy moved on me so fast and he told me he loved me, wanted to marry me. The first night that I worked Las Vegas, again, I was already turned out. He beat the living daylights out of me and I almost lost my life that night. And he told me, he said, I'm your pimp now. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to give me 100% of the money. And you're going to work every single day of the week. If you don't do this, I am going to hunt you down and I'm going to make sure that you're hurt and I might even kill you. So he had a gun and he took my identification. I had a beeper at the time. Back then, the cell phones were like this big, <laughs> like the size of a tissue box. I mean, come on. Right. And so I had no way to contact anyone, Sam. I got locked in a room for probably I was healing for about three weeks. I had two huge black eyes. There were like scratch marks and cuts on my neck and on my head from him beating me in the backyard. He shoved my face in dog feces. Now here's the part that people don't like about the story is the fact that I stayed with this man for five years. Are you saying the other parts are okay? (laughs) (laughs) This is the part that they object to. Okay, go ahead. You know, because they, they say to me, well, Annie, you weren't 16 
but I, I was vulnerable. And when you're 18, I don't care. Your brain cells aren't even formed until you're about 25. But not, so not to I mention that he threatened teenager. to, he threatened not just to kill you. He threatened to hurt you, which is a hurt that's he going to last did. for a very long time. And there, I mean, it's very difficult me, right? to think your way out of that. Sorry, go ahead. He already did hurt me that night. But the whole problem with the whole situation was that it was coercion. It was fraudulent and it was force. And that's the definitions of trafficking in itself. In a nutshell, he used everything. Isolation, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, of course, and ec economic abuse. He used intimidation. He used coercion. He used control. Anything he could get to me to make me feel like I could not leave. And that's what it amounted to. When I did leave the few times, he kidnapped me right back into the stable of women. Oh, I should say girls because 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old in our house. Okay. When I found out how old each of these ladies were, I should say little girls, I helped them escape Sam. So there was a call in my life way back then. When I met him, he thought I was underage. Cause I didn't look my age at all. I mean, I still look great for my age, but back then, whoa, I probably looked about 14. I was very marketable for him. Pimps look for very young females so they can sell the product as many times as they can. Just like drugs, you can flip it over, but at a better stance because now you have a human being and this thing's being used over and over and over. And it's literally like you're in this, this cage that you can't you can see it but no one else can see it in america it's trafficking in plain sight we have victims walking around we see them at the grocery store we don't know it we see them working out we see them walking down the street we see them in the casino in the hotel lobby and we don't know that they're victims but they are and they might even have a beautiful outfit on and they might even look like they're made up and like maybe they're a YouTube star or an Instagram star or a TikTok. You know, they're dancing and doing all these fun moves, but yet they're being used on the fan sites, right? There's a pimp behind them getting advertised. They're being sold on the dark web. And so my pimp at the time, the Internet was nothing. We didn't have the Internet. I was sold literally through escort services and the Yellow Pages and this ma magazine called After Dark in Las Vegas. And that's how I got trafficked. And the agency got a fee. He got his tip. And basically every call I went on, I made no money. The phone girl got her tip. The phone girls were making money off of me. The escort services and then the pimp. And of course, the taxi cab drivers, the, the um, valet drivers, the guys that were sitting at the bar at the fancy casinos, they were getting a cut out of things as well. So I was basically being trafficked by all these different areas. And here was my promise. I'm going to get a jewelry store one day and I could have nice clothing. I could wear diamonds. I could wear nice jewelry. I could look really pretty. I could drive a really nice car. But that was the gist of it. If I left, I couldn't take anything with me. None of the money, none of the special gifts that I got. I had to walk away with a garbage can, basically a garbage bag of what I had, which was like a couple outfits. So and that was, that it, was five years down the road. Yes. What, what but did it then, for you? Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm telling you, this is so I had severe complex trauma before I even met my pimp from my childhood growing up. So that's another thing that they would feed into is the psychological trauma that you already have. I left him, Sam, 
And then I left him again, came back again, kidnapped me, came back. He cut all my hair off, beat me again. And this time it was way worse. He took a poker from a fireplace, stripped me totally nude. There were six pimps in the audience, okay, at the house we were at. Then on the second floor balcony, they had all the girls of the pimps watching my beating. It's called getting served because I left him and they were teaching me a lesson. I was cruising around town with a brand new car. How dare you do that, Fallon? That was my working name back then. When I finally left him, like I had to go underground and I started working days. But guess what? I chose another boyfriend that I met at the club to fake it as my pimp. I said, you have to pretend you're my pimp because I have this really crazy stalker, violent man after me right now. And he's my ex pimp. So he played the part. And guess what, Sam? Guess what happened? You know, the next five years of my life on that relationship, he turned into my pimp too. At first it was a little bit of money. Then it became half the money. Then all of a sudden he was in control of hundred percent and he put bars on my house. Okay. I couldn't leave. He had a double, a double lock where it only locks with, with the key. So you can't turn it. It's like a deadbolt lock. Right. And so he would threaten me and I had cancer. I came down with Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was wearing wigs on my cause. I lost all my hair. I mean, for 10 years solid, like a decade of my life was thrown away by trafficking as a high class call girl in Las Vegas, walking in and out of these four and five star casinos, looking like I was having the time of my life, but in actuality, I was being trafficked and tortured and in love with both different men. And it was such a crazy like trauma bond because that's what happens to trafficking victims. They have a trauma bond with their abusers and it's the Stockholm syndrome. It's another word for it, but I believe it's even deeper and wickeder than Stockholm syndrome because you're in love with the trafficker that's continually selling you night after night. And you're like a, hypnotized victim you do whatever they say you just do it because if you don't you won't have cuddles with your lovey you won't have sex with your pimp and you want that because you want to feel like you're at least loved by somebody because they tell you if you leave and anyone finds out what you're doing annie no one's gonna love you Fallon, remember that Fallon, you're just a piece of trash. You're a whore. You're a hoe. That's all you're ever going to be. If you leave me, you'll be nothing. So you really believe those lies. And basically on August 2nd, 2003, which was 20 years ago, it was my overdose. And even though I left the two pimps, I got labor traffic later. It's a long story. But I ended up going back on the strip, Sam, because I went back to what I knew I was good at. And unfortunately, and I don't want to start crying right now. When you're sold for that many years, that's what you believe you are. You believe that's all you have. So um, that night, I, I just didn't want to live. It's like I, I overdosed twice, actually, in one week. But this last oh. time that I overdosed... You overdosed on uh, on some drug cocaine on cocaine. cocaine. OK, so it was really yeah. an overdose. I thought I thought it was like the overdose moment where you came to terms. But no, you actually overdosed on no. cocaine because obviously there's drugs involved at some point. Right. Yeah. Um, and yes, in fact, cocaine. that's how they that's how, that's another way that they keep you and control you is because they're your supplier and you're not going to make enough money to supply yourself. See, here's yourself. the thing. My first 
trafficker pimp. He didn't want me to do drugs. The second one didn't care, but they, they both had their own drug addictions, to be honest with you. They didn't know that I was actually coping with drugs, trying to hide it. This is a kind of a crazy story. I was trying to hide my cocaine. I didn't start doing cocaine until the 10th year, believe it or not. I was totally sober, Sam. Can you believe this? Sober for nine years, drank once in a while, smoked pot, but I was never hooked on drugs. I did this sober. But the last year I couldn't take it anymore. I snapped. And of course, um, I got out, but then I got back into it, like I said, and eight months of cocaine and then overdosing twice in one week. And the second time that I overdosed, I actually had an ambulance called because I had a heart attack. And I remember fading in out of black. I remember going blind and I remember my heart feeling like somebody was stabbing it. And when the EMT saw me, her face turned white. Like she, I think she thought I was going to die. I begged her to not leave my side. I, I dug my nails into her hand. And then when I got to the hospital, the doctor came to my bedside. And uh, of course, they gave me IVs and everything. And he said that I'm lucky to be alive because I did so much. I had so many drugs in my system. Like, I don't remember what I did that night, to be honest with you. I was drinking. I had Coke. I was popping pills, uh, uppers, downers, just trying to keep myself from losing my mind. Okay. It's such a it's unfortunately for most of us who have really had no experience in that world whatsoever. It's really hard for us to uh, to 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 contemplate, to imagine what that's like. And I'd like to go to when you finally really did get out and started helping other people. You said you mentioned before during your first five years, you helped young women, young girls I did uh, get out of the house. Right. So you already had that, had that impetus, had that start, but then, and then after that too, Sam, I had other girlfriends that I was helping get away from their pimps. Now that I figured out how to do it, I was starting to show them, Hey, stash your money. Okay. Go over here. Meet me over here. I'll stash the money with you. Like I was helping my friends get out of the business. So it was inside of me to want to pull them out because I knew how dark it was going to get for them. And I knew that they were in the same situation as me. Can I tell you that I had at least, I would say 10 really close friends, five really like circle friends. But then I had about a hundred casual friends in the business that I knew. And almost every single one, Sam had a pimp. When people you say, trying, Oh, there's a lot of, were, were you trying to save yourself? Were you, were you sort of substituting them for yourself? I think I was seeing myself in them. I think we do that a lot, don't we? Yeah. Like we see the dangers that are ahead and we know that if we don't help somebody in that exact time frame or situation that they're going to go into the same hole that we were once in. And so after I overdosed, I literally started watching Christian television. I quit drugs, cold turkey. I started reading a Bible <laughs> and God pulled on my heart. Like I was raised in church, Lutheran church in Minnesota. So I had at least that when I was five years old, I said to Jesus, I ask you for forgiveness for my sins. So even though I wasn't living as a Christian, I still believe that Jesus died for me. And so when I finally read the new Testament and had my eyes opened, 
like I read it as a call girl. Can you believe it? On my second pimp, I was in Italy. I read the whole New Testament and bawled my eyes out. And before my final overdose, I actually prayed to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can get me away from this evil man I'm with, help me. I, I like begged him to help me, but then nothing happened right away. And I thought God never heard my prayer. But listen, if anyone's watching right now and listening right now, God does hear our prayers. I know he heard me because that doesn't explain. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. It explains why I didn't die on that overdose. Right. Because obviously God had interest in my heart and he heard that first initial cry for help. And that's all people have to do. If you're in a situation, cry out to him. It's not a fancy prayer. Just say, Jesus, help me. So when I started reading my Bible, I started going to church. And then I was like, hold on. You went to church. You went to church. You didn't bring your pimp to church with you. No, I was, I left him. Oh, I you left, left him, him and I, okay. yeah. And I was living with a roommate, but I, I remember calling up the church and it was called anointed word. I asked them if I could come and I wasn't sure I could come because I was, I had this history. And can you believe that? I thought that I wasn't allowed to go to church. That's what we think. Yes. We think we're going to light on fire when we walk in there. Especially, well, we think that people, we think that people are not forgiving which they aren't. And so you're afraid to go to church because you think people in the church are going to reject you and you don't want the rejection. So why would you go to a place where you're, you know, almost definitely going to be rejected? Well, Um, and the the church has to do a little bit. Yeah. Right. The church has to do a little bit of a better job. uh, Letting people know that uh, there's acceptance at church, not rejection. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, that's the scary part is that I was afraid to run into my customers, my tricks, the men that were buying me. And I was afraid that women would be looking at me thinking that I was going to try to take their husband. Annie, so I'm like, Annie, so they're allowed to go to church, but you're not. I mean, that's what we think. Right. Because the the pimps make us believe we're nothing like we're this little tiny gnat and that we have no right to do anything when it comes to freedom. We can't we can't do we can't go anywhere. We have to just sit home, wait for the phone to ring, go on a call, bring the money home. That's what we're allowed to do. That's it. So I told my church, I said, hey, because I had a dream of Jesus and in my dream, Sam, he didn't use his lips to talk to me. I was praying to God to give me a dream of Jesus. I didn't want the TV Jesus. I didn't want pictures of Jesus. I wanted to see his face. I wanted to behold him. Like I wanted to just see this person that saved my life, that made me feel loved. Like I literally felt like a brand new person inside. I felt like I could be myself. I could, I could try again. I could have a second life. I could get, have a brand new life. And I literally believe that. And I had this dream that he came up to me and he looked at me and he didn't move his lips, but he like just read my, my whole soul. He looked into my eyes and he told me I was beautiful. I was chosen that he loved me. He forgave me. And then the last thing he said to me was that he wanted me to go get my friends. He said, go tell those girls, I love them. That's your mission now. You tell them, I love them. 
And that was it. And that's what started the outreach, which is Hookers for Jesus. So I started going out on the Las Vegas Strip into the casino, sitting at the bar, giving gift bags to girls. First, it was my card and it said, call me. My name's Annie if you need help. And it graduated into the name Hookers for Jesus. And then I brought them to my house, Sam. That wasn't a good idea. My roommates got kind of mad at me because I was bringing girls home that were leaving their pimps. And so there was a risk in that because the pimps would show up, even though they never did, it was a possibility they could show up at the door and knock on the door and say, where's my girl? You know, where's my slave or whatever you want to call it. And I decided to find a place for them to go, which is called destiny house. And that's what happened. He established destiny house. And so that facility, cause I got a, we got a new one about de a decade ago and it has 13 beds. And then I just opened up a second home for the graduates of destiny house. And that facility has four beds. And those are for people that are, getting out of destiny house they already have their job they're already almost done with their school it's a place where they can they don't have to pay rent and they can still stay inside the community of destiny house program and they can still have that great support system because if you give someone a year to heal that's like impossible like come on when it comes to trafficking and complex trauma this is a year to year thing okay sometimes you're going to be healing for the rest of your life it's that serious we know that jesus heals in an instant right in the spiritual realm, we are totally healed, set free. We're ready to go. But our flesh has to catch up with that sometimes, <laughs> right? <laughs> our brain and our heart and our soul and our problems and our issues and all that. So, I mean, we're our program's designed for four years. So two years each house. The ladies don't have to stay that long. They can do a quick one-year track and then another second-year track, but it's all free. It's nonprofit. They don't have to pay a dime. And hopefully by the end of the second program, they'll have their own car. And then we get them into permanent housing. We just hired a housing, a permanent housing director to get them into housing that's very low income in a nice area of town. We're hoping to get anyway. That way they can really have that to get on their feet and be independent and not have to worry about ever going back to that lifestyle. And even if there's trigger moments, we're there to help them. It's lifetime basically help for our ladies that we serve. Like, and this isn't about me, by the way, it's not about our team. It's about serving God. It's about serving the love of my life. Jesus that took me out of this and rescued me. He's my rescuer. People can brag all day long. Well, I helped you here and I helped you there. Yes, you might have done that. But can I tell you who took my heart? Who stole my heart? Who forgave my heart? Who took my soul and made it brand new? Jesus. So that's why we do what we do. How many how many women have you helped so far? Oh, my gosh, I have no idea. With the house itself, there's been... Uh, probably more than uh, a couple hundred clients, but the actual program, we've helped thousands of women. I couldn't even count. If I, I know our last database check for the, the people that we've interacted with, it's been probably between five and 8,000, maybe almost 10,000 ladies over the years. All right. So where can people find you? You can go to hookersforjesus.net, like fishnet, or pinkchair.org. They go to the same website, read all about us, join our mailing list. I actually have a book, too, by the way, with my story. And um, talk about bearing the like, lead. Yeah, this <laughs> this reads like a movie. And I, this is my voice, believe it or not. It's really good. It's it's uh, 
trust me, this is something, this will educate you. It will also make you very mad at me in the beginning. But trust me, if you go to the end, there's a good ending to it. Um, it's my fairy tale. I talk about my husband. I'm married now. I've been married 14 years uh, to a lovely man named Oz. And he's in a band called Striper. And he's a rock star. And I love my life now. But I'm so glad that you no longer consider yourself a victim. And you have the life that you initially dreamed of and uh your story is very compelling and very uh uplifting after all um and super informative so i really thank you for coming on the program annie lobert so great to see thank you you, all you right. too sam thanks for having me yeah thanks for being here this is the sam sorbo show we'll see you next time mm -hmm.